eventually, I would, I would say December of 01 was when I would say that's, that's when I fully and finally gave up. And, and what I remember, I would, I would still say it wasn't a belief thing. It was a knowing thing. Like, and, and it is true that I also believe in Jesus, but I would have said at the time and still say now, uh, I just remember feeling, saying, knowing, I know two things. Jesus is God and I have to give myself to him. Mm. Like I knew that. Um, and the other thing that I remember, and it's still true today, but it, it was true then was God. He went from a stranger other people talked about to someone that I knew personally. Welcome to the Send Columbus podcast, a podcast designed to share strategies and stories about planting churches in the city. Your hosts are church planting catalyst, Chad Grigsby and Send City missionary, Dean Foltz. Welcome back to the Send Columbus podcast. It's good to have you back with us for another episode. Uh, my name is Chad. I'm joined here with Dean. Dean, how are you today? Doing good, Chad. How about yourself? Very well. Thanks yep. for asking. Yep. Hey, listen, we first want to say that we are grateful to Chili Verde for sponsoring the podcast um, today. And uh, as I sit here and say that, it makes me want to go get one of their Southwestern salads. Mm, they're very good. Yep. Yep. So we're grateful to them. Tom, Anthony, um, both locations here in Columbus. They're very, very kind to partner with us. And we have today on the podcast, Adam Purcell, pastor of LifePoint Mount Vernon, and not just a pastor and a planter, but certainly a good friend. Adam, how are you doing today? Doing awesome. I'm glad to be here with you guys, especially with you, Dean, because, <laughs> you know, you're my boss and it feels appropriate to say that. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it was an invitation. It was an invitation. <laughs> I'm here as a friend and that feels good. You've got a cool hat on, which no one can see, but it's, it looks awesome. Just happy to be a friend. <laughs> well, thinking about talking to planters today, Adam, um, actually, because I know you so well, I, I kind of want to back up a little bit before we talk about planter story, but I just want you to talk a little bit about your salvation story because it's unique and because I think it plays well into just how you are wired in your passion for evangelism and especially your passion for college students. Yeah, um, I'm thankful that you promised me 40 minutes to cover this in <laughs> intricate detail. Now, obviously, give the, it's going to be great because we're going to record 10 of them. So that'd be <laughs> yeah, great. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So, I mean, the broad brushstrokes, um, I was raised in a Christian home, uh, amazing godly parents, mm. um, you know, went to church, read my Bible, prayed, um, didn't know Jesus, uh, didn't know that I didn't know Jesus. I think had you met high school Adam and said, hey, are you a Christian? I would have said, yeah, but... It was because I went to church on Sundays because my parents made me. I read my Bible, prayed because those were things that I saw, um, you know, my parents doing. And, and generally speaking, like I was a pretty good kid and that's kind of what I thought it was. And so I, I go off to college. I went to Ashland University and um, uh, was majoring in math and uh, ended up minoring in physics. And it was probably around my sophomore year. Uh, I was uh, just thinking about God and how I thought the system of salvation worked, which was not how it worked, but that's what I thought it worked. And it felt like this really random cosmic game of Russian roulette where mm. like the timing of your death was really all that mattered. And so if you sinned and then died before you could pray, you go to hell. If you um, sinned and then prayed, like you're good and you're going to go to heaven. And so the, and I remember thinking, whoever made that system up is stupid. <laughs> and then I thought, well, this is the system that God made up. So God is stupid. <laughs> and then I thought, there's no way that if there's a God, 
he would be that stupid. <laughs> right. And this is, I you love, know, this is coming from a math major. It's like yes. one plus two <laughs> yes. equals seven. You know, and, no, and, you know, obviously no, was, that doesn't seem right. I was 19 years old at the time. So I knew everything, which helped. Um, and, <laughs> yes, and so that the, helps. The, the next step was if there's a God, there's no way he'd be that stupid. Therefore, mm. you know, there must not be a God. And so, that was probably sophomore year of college. And, but atheism wasn't a thing yet. It wasn't like I started going to meetings and like yelling <laughs> at people. I, like I loved my parents. I respected them in every way. I saw a really great version of Christ following modeled for me in the home. Um, and I don't know that I ever like emotionally or even intellectually connected those dots in college. I just knew, yeah, there's no God. I don't see any reason to be upset about that or angry about that. It's just true, right? There just isn't a God. Mm. Um, and But I definitely... Uh, hid that newfound conviction from my parents because I, I loved them and respected them. And so were, I remember... Were you pretty settled in that? Or did you feel like, okay, was it more agnostic? Like, I'm not sure. Or were you pretty like, there's just not a God. I respect them and love them, but... I was very confident that there okay. was well, there was no God. Right. Yeah, it was, and it wasn't like this epistemological stance of, oh, I don't know that you can know. The, like, it was just like, no, like, I know something true about God. And that's yes. something true that I know is that there is no such thing as the being that other people refer to as God. That, like, that, it was... That makes sense. Okay. Um, yeah, that's it's just... But again, why be... For me, at least, it didn't seem rational to be mad about that. It was just, it was just a fact of life. And it was more of a rejection, not just of this version of God I've been taught, but it was like this version of God, God I've been taught is the only God there is. So if he doesn't exist, God doesn't exist. There wasn't like a, Hey, that version of God may not be true, but there could be a God out there. It was just, there's no God. Yeah. I would say it was just that, a, that's yeah. fair. And then it just felt, uh, obvious. Yes, honestly, that makes sense. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. There's just no God. Like that's, and I'm assuming, I, I guess I can only speak from my, from my experience as an atheist. I think that's how it goes a lot of times for atheists is mm. not that there, there's a sense of I have rationally thought mm. this through, but also it's just obvious. Like it's <laughs> obvious there's no God, right? Yeah. Is I think how it maybe mm. feels. And so, and can I just say, and yeah. your dad, right? Your dad was a minister. Yeah, he was a Methodist right? pastor. So you're talking mm. right now to a number of planters, pastors who that's going to hit and go, wait a minute. How do I, how do I keep that from happening? Oh yeah, and I mean I don't know if this is encouraging or discouraging. I mean my parents were not perfect, but I had had and still have. They're both still alive and amazing parents. Mm. Like mm. there were very few missteps on on their part. Um, I think they would say, and I would agree with them. Uh, they they didn't talk to us about it a lot. Like I think they just kind of assumed that that we would catch it um, by mm -hmm. seeing them live it out. And I mean, but at the same time, they have three grown children who are following Jesus with spouses who are following Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe there's some, some validity in what, um, but obviously God's sovereign over all these things. Sure. Right. But yeah. But the, but the primacy of living out your faith in front of your kids, mm. there's something to that. Right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a, yeah. And mm. we, um, yeah, they were, I mean, you see this, you see this in the books or whatnot, but it was real to them, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and for, I'm, I'm saying right now, for a season for me, it wasn't real to me. It was actually mm -hmm. fall. Like I rejected it, but I, at no point did I doubt that they loved Jesus and that it wasn't just talk. Like mm -hmm. they, they lived that out. Um, so, 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 and actually that helps. So I, I get to the spring of my senior year um, and I was like, I was a pretty good student, right? So I um, was 
had been encouraged by my professors to pursue a PhD in math, uh, actually, and also in physics, but I just, wow. I didn't want to do that. So I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do math. Um, and as I was facing graduation uh, from undergrad, I, I just felt like, okay, this, this makes me an adult. And as an adult and in keeping with integrity, um, it would be wrong for me to continue to deceive my parents about, about where, where I am spiritually. And so uh, I remember thinking, okay, so once I graduate, I'm now an adult and I should have this conversation with them. And I anticipated, I think rightly, that that was going to be a pretty disappointing or difficult conversation mm -hmm. with them. And I, I love how God used my hubris as a weapon against me. Mm. And in a split second, I decided, I'll read the whole Bible. I'm sure it's stupid, but, <laughs> you know, I've not engaged with it since I was under my parents' roof. Yeah. And, and when, I, when, I, when I go to have this conversation with my parents and they push back a little bit, which I thought that they probably would, I can say to them, hey, I appreciate that. I've done my research. I've, you know, I've completed this research project. I've read the book. It's stupid. Like, um, if you want to believe in the Easter Bunny, and I wouldn't have said it that way, but in my head, mm -hmm. that's like, you know, like that's, I love you, I respect you, but I am never going to church with you again was mm -hmm. what I was planning on saying. And I, I realized, and I, I thought about this a lot. This is a random side note, but I was, I used to go to Atheist Club at Ohio Wesleyan when I did college ministry there. And one of the guys asked me one time, he's like, well, why didn't you study like the Quran or other religious texts? Like if you were curious in religion, and it's so fundamentally misunderstood my story that I, I, I didn't even know how to respond. And I, I wish I could go back and respond better to him, but I wasn't looking to become religious. Mm. I was looking to stay an atheist mm -hmm. and just be educated for one conversation with these two people <laughs> that I loved mm -hmm. so that I could tell them how stupid Christianity was. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like that's, that's why I didn't study the Quran. I wasn't, yeah. I didn't have Muslim parents. Right. right. Um, and so uh, I moved to Cleveland that summer. I had an internship with Progressive as an actuary, and then I uh, went to Miami of Ohio that fall to start pursuing a PhD in math wow. and um, literally opened up in Genesis shortly after graduating in May of 2001 and just started my research project. I'm just reading the Bible. And I don't remember a lot of movement spiritually that summer, but I remember I, mean, I have a lot of vivid memories of sitting by myself in my apartment in Oxford, Ohio, and I would wake up, go to class. I taught a class from Miami, um, just as part of my GA agreement. I uh, would come home uh, and, you know, basically a mixture of do my homework, read this stupid book, and then I would go out and drink. Like that was most days. And I, for the first time in my life, I just began to experience the presence of God. Mm. And it was always when I opened this book. And man, God just wore me down with his presence and goodness. And I remember sitting at my little like kitchen table thing. And uh, I don't think I was talking out loud because I was by myself, right? But I remember <laughs> thinking and maybe even saying oh, like, oh, okay. Like when I open this book and read, the, read these words, something is happening. Mm. And that something might be God, but it is undeniable to me that something is happening. Mm. And so, and I remember I would just say, okay, we'll see. Like I was just, okay, we'll see. And then I would close the book, go out and party or whatever. And, and, you know, press, were you still repeat. feeling like you were mainly motivated for research to talk to your parents or at that point, were you curious about what that thing was or both? Mm, probably both. 
uh, I, I would say, but I mean that, that thing, which I now know is what's the spirit of God. <laughs> I mean, it's compelling. Mm. And, and through, through that fall, um, uh, eventually I would, I would say December of 01 was when I would say that's, that's when I fully and finally gave up. And, and what I remember, I would, I would still say it wasn't a belief thing. It was a knowing thing. Like, and, and it is true that I also believe in Jesus, but I would have said at the time and still say now, uh, I just remember feeling, saying, knowing, I know two things. Jesus is God and I have to give myself to him. Mm. Like I knew that. Um, and the other thing that I remember, and it's still true today, but it, it was true then was God. He went from a stranger other people talked about to someone that I knew personally. Um, and so thankfully I never had to have that hard conversation with my parents. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I was wondering. Yeah. Did you ever have that conversation? <laughs> no, no, I mean, because I didn't however, have to. Yeah. However, if I remember correctly, you did you not disclose this to Angie, your sister? Wasn't there a time in there where you talked to her about it? And she had a profound... Oh, she was super Jesus-y through high school. My right. younger sister, Angie, who's now our kids director at LifePoint, Mount Vernon. Um, and she, she was wonderful. I ha so I, I had this conversation with her. It was nighttime and she was always trying to encourage me to like, because she knew, right? I mean, even though my parents... And so we were standing in the foyer of my parents' house um, and I'm... And I found out... So I, this is weird to say on this in this forum, but my mom found this letter she wrote she would have been an eighth grader when I went off to college and she had a writing assignment for English. And essentially the writing assignment was my hero no longer lives in our house and I miss my big brother. And I was like, wow, that's really moving. Right. Yeah. I never, I didn't know that she um, felt that way about me. So that's a backdrop, right? So she and I are standing in the foyer of my mm. parents' house and she said something really annoying, like I love you and I'm praying for you or some, <laughs> something that in my atheism bothered me. And, um, and I said to her, and I meant it, I meant it with every fiber of my being. I said, Angie, I will never be a Christian and it's because of you. And I, um, I walked out and, um, you know, jokes on me, right? Cause I'm now her pastor. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said she was very Jesus-y. Oh, yeah. she was. She still is, right? It's an I mean, adverb. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, man. Um, she's, she's awesome. Wow. Um, yeah, of the three siblings, she was the first one to, mm. um, it, I mean, it seems like she's been a believer since she was three, right? Like Matt and I, like we, we grew up on a dirt road, right? We're out in the country. There's no one else to play with but each other. So Matt and I are beating each other up, throwing rocks at each other, exploring the woods. And Angie was like singing Jesus loves me while drawing a picture, right? <laughs> like that was, um, that was kind of how childhood uh, felt in a lot of ways. So fantastic. yeah, well, Matt and I were not doing that. Thanks for sharing that, man. That's, I mean, I can tell, you know, people probably going to hear this in your voice, but I can see your emotion as you talk about this and just how much you went through and what God did in your life. It's really neat and it's powerful, you know? Um, and so you, you came to Christ and then, but how did you get to like kind of from math slash almost rocket scientist to <laughs> to ministry, church planting, LifePoint Mount Vernon? Well, that's the typical pathway, right? <laughs> Atheism, math degree, yeah. ministry, that, right? I feel like that's... Feel, that feels true. Yeah. yeah. Um, Somebody looks at you one day and says, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be a pastor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, so um, through that, um, just 
process of meeting Jesus and, and becoming a follower of, of his, uh, I felt like God was saying, hey, teach, but teach high school instead of college. And I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. And so I ended up getting a job teaching high school, uh, high school math at Northridge High School, which is in Johnstown. So, you know, about 25 minutes northeast of kind of that, um, uh, not Granville, New Albany area. And I uh, was attending uh, Spring Hills Baptist Church, which was deeply formative to me and Jersey Baptist Church. Mm. And uh, I got to know Horace Henriot through through that. And so, and back up, I mean, this is a different story for a different time, but after one year of teaching, um, like it was like an audible voice of God called a ministry thing that just, I mean, I, yeah, just, it was profound. And I told God, no, because I, th- I mean, I just, mm. I was like, God, no, like there's no way. Um, and God was patient with me. Um, and, but it was something I began to seriously pray about. And so you fast forward a couple years and I had gotten to know Horace Henriot, who actually attends our Westerville campus now, but he was in ministry at Jersey at the time. And I was like, Hey man, um, I feel like God has placed this call to ministry on my life. I don't know what to do with, do with it. Like, I just don't know. Um, would you just, just pray with me about mm. that? And, uh, I remember the first, probably the first person ever, Horace said, let's pray right now. I was like, this is cool. Like we're in the hallway of Jersey, <laughs> but I was like, what a novel idea. Yeah. Not just saying it and sort of meaning it, but mm-hmm. like actually doing it in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it was the next Sunday, I think. And he so undersold this. He was like, Hey man, there's this guy named Dean and a guy named Troy. And I don't really know them at all. Like they could be cool. They could be lame. I don't know. <laughs> there's this church called Life Point." That is like new. Uh, I don't know much about it. It could be cool. It could be lame. I, I don't know. think he undersold it one bit. <laughs> That's like, literally amazing. That may have been the best sales pitch you could have yeah. given us at that point. And, and he's like, he's like, man, uh, they need a part-time student guy. Um, would you be willing to talk with them? And I was like, man, I'll talk to anybody, right? Mm. Like, and so he's so he gave Troy. Where were you living at this time? At this time, I was living in Alexandria, which is a booming metropolis, just out 161. Okay, um, but out towards so, Johnstown where yeah, you were teaching. Yes, yes, okay, yes. Cool. So out that way. Um, and uh, yeah, but I was, so I'm teaching math. I'm coaching football, coaching mm-hmm. basketball. I'm coaching track. I started the FCA as the faculty advisor at Northridge High School, and I'm leading a Bible study for Spring Hills Baptist Church. Wow. Like that's, that's life, right? And, and for me, even though I love, I still love Jersey, I considered Spring Hills my home church. Mm. Spring Hills met Sunday night at 6 p.m., mm. which also happened to be the only time that LifePoint Church met. Mm. And and so uh, Troy called me up. It's like, hey, man, this is who I am. Let's grab. I think we went to like Smoky Bones or something like that at Easton. We went somewhere to Easton. Logan's. Logan's? Logan's. It was Logan's. Logan's. Yep. Um, and we met and talked about stuff. I don't even remember. Um, and then a couple weeks later, Dean and Troy and I met at Easton somewhere. Mm-hmm. And... Um, a, Basically, if I remember right, said, hey, if you want to do this, we'd love for you to do it. Um, and I really, I didn't know because there were, there was, a spirit, like all my friendships were through that small group that I led mm. through Spring Hills. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I kind of knew, like, I'm, I'm going to be leaving home in a lot of ways in terms of like my spiritual home. And, uh, and I, I was busy, right? <laughs> like I was not looking for more to do. And, you know, I was going to, at that point, there were like two kids in the student ministry. And I still remember I got lost trying to find the Becker's house in Highland Lakes. <laughs> I was like dark. It was January. And I'm like, I was like an hour late because it's like a maze through there. <laughs> so I was driving like an hour almost um, mm-hmm. to get to get to West, Westerville Athletic Center was where we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, but as I prayed about it, I just felt like God was saying, do this. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm going to, 
as Dean says, I ha- my guess was already on the table for whatever God had said. Um, I didn't know until years later. You told Troy on the way home from that meeting with me, you were like, "Man, no way!" <laughs> he says yes to this. Like, there's no way we didn't we didn't have anything to offer him. <laughs> I was like, "Man, if he comes and works with us, mm. it is totally a God. It's got to be mm. a God thing." Because I mean, we didn't have anything. We didn't mm. have any students. We didn't. We didn't have it. Wow. Yeah. And so then, um, so I did that for like a year and a half part time. That was like the mm-hmm. fall of 05 was mm-hmm. you guys were basically a year old yep. or we were basically yep. a year old. Um, and then, uh, teaching of 06, 07, I, um, entered that year having already kind of been in contract and it was mm. awful only because, and I, I, lo- I still love, I'm sure I would love teaching now, but, mm. um, man, God just wrecked me that summer mm. and I knew, I knew I am in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. Wow. Like I, I thought, cause I knew God had called me into ministry and mm-hmm. part time was kind of a way to get God off my back, so to speak. Like, Oh, Hey mm-hmm. God, look, I'm a missionary to the public schools, not breaking laws, but like I'm there. And like, like we have staff members who like worked with me and they, they would say, and it's accurate. Like I led them to Christ as coworkers at, at this school. Right. And I saw God using my presence there to uh, like, People were getting saved, and I couldn't see how God would call me out of that. Um, and but God just made it clear, like this is not what I meant when I called you into ministry. Like, and so I, I remember talking to Troy, saying, "Hey, man, I'm going to do full time ministry one way or the other. Come summer of '07." And Troy was basically like, "Man, we don't have any money. We would love to hire you, but I don't know what that looks like." And I was like, "All right." And so I was engaged engaged to my wife at the time, and we talked and prayed, and it was basically. Honestly, the options were move to Belgium with Horace. Like that mm-hmm. was that was on the table. Um, go to seminary full time and life point. And again, we prayed about it and just felt like God was saying, go with life point. We're like, mm-hmm. okay. And we're just going to trust that. And so we got married in July of 07. Um, I think I finally, and you guys helped. Like I got some like rent check things through the fall, but more or less, Molly got her job at Riverside that December mm-hmm. as a nurse. I started getting paid, I think, in January of 08. So the first like five months of our marriage, we didn't have jobs that paid us money. Um, like I was working full time, but it was, yeah, that was, um, but again, it didn't feel scary or we just, we were too young and stupid to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It felt scary to me. Right? I was the one who was. <laughs> yeah, I was loving it. It was great, man. Um, so that was kind of how we went from atheist to, uh, you know, in vocational ministry full-time. Mm. So, I really want to get into the Mount Vernon campus. I'll tell you what, uh, let's save that for round two. We'll okay. have him come back and talk about that, but I really do want to talk about coaching. Yeah. Okay. So you're our coaching champion for Send Columbus. Mm-hmm. I say our coach, you're the coaching champion. That's, that's right. That's right. Columbus. Use the definite article, please. Um, and so we just want to hear you. Yeah. Talk about your experience, uh, what made you want to do that and uh, why you enjoy doing that? And yeah. Yeah, man. So why coaching is important to planters as well. Absolutely. So, um, Dina Sanasi, who leads coaching nationally for the SIN network. And, uh, we, I mean, there's an incredible team nationally. Um, so our, our vision or our purpose statement for that is we want, we want to deliver great coaching to every church planter. And the reason we want to do that is because we believe that no planter should plant alone. And, and the coach fills a really unique seat for planters because in a lot of ways, we're nobody to that planter. We're just the guy who's calling every other week 
and we're calling, remembering, we don't know the answers, but we believe the planter has the answers and yeah. probably could just use uh, a listening voice and an, a, someone who's asking good questions um, to help them discover just maybe areas that they're blind to or next steps for, for them to reach people in whatever community they're planting in. And, and honestly, you can't measure this, but there's something really, God does something um, really for the coach and the planter, but specific, specifically for the planter where you've got someone who has no reason to care, but they care and they have no reason mm -hmm. to call you every other week, but they're calling you every other week. I mean, we do it kind of fall semester, spring semester, and then the summer, you know, we're just texting a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's that, just that reminder that within this network, it really is a brotherhood mm -hmm. and, and we're trying to care for you well. Um, so I would say from the serving the planter side, it's both a, like that soft impact of just, I'm loved, I'm known, um, this is, this is cool. But also it, when coaching is done well, you're going to discover action steps or blind spots that you wouldn't have taken or seen without someone who's been trained to ask you good questions. And so it makes you better as a planter and as a, as a, as a, a lot of, a lot of planters are husbands, a lot of planters are dads. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly we're all followers of Jesus, or at least you would hope <laughs> that, we're all, that we're all followers of nice. Jesus. Yeah. And so we're, we're coaching the person, not the plant. Right. And so you're trying to mm. um, give them holistic coaching. So that, that side of it, I think is really valuable for the planter. Um, but I would say for me, when I first went to the, the coaching map to get that initial training, uh, honestly, I think that every leader in ministry should go through that or something like that. It, it it's been so helpful to me as a husband as a dad, as a pastor, and as a life group leader. And honestly, as a boss, like I have people that I supervise and there are so many times where I want to give the answer and I remember, wait, it's going to go better if I don't give them the answer, but if I just ask them really good questions and help them discover the, the best pathway forward. So it's, I, I love it. I love it as a skill set, and I, I hope I get to learn more about it and use it more. So what I love, Adam, about coaching, um, through your personal life is that because it's impacted you personally, I feel like it impacts our coaches in Columbus personally. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just that it's an opportunity to serve. It is to serve planters and to serve church plants, but the personal benefit you get from being a coach, I believe helps us recruit and retain coaches as well. So I really appreciate that about you and I appreciate you taking the time and obviously love you, love our friendship and I'm super grateful for you. Um, so thanks for taking time to be with us today. Sorry, we kind of threw you a couple of curveballs and extended your story there yeah, a little bit, um, but totally worth it, totally worth it for our listeners uh, as well. So uh, we'll have you back sometime and we'll talk more about specifically LifePoint, Mount Vernon and planting, planting mm -hmm. there. But thanks for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure. It was fun. Thanks for checking out the Send Columbus podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join us next time for another episode.